My name is Benjamin Pace, and you're listening to the No Content Podcast. And if you happen to be a duck listening to this, you're in a safe space. Welcome to today's episode of the No Content Podcast. My name is Benjamin Pace. I hope you are having a wonderful August. And today we're going to get into a topic that is called Don't Blame Me. (laughs) And and I hope you hear the emphasis there. I'm excited about it. Um, I'll be be honest. There is a series that my uh, father and the faith, Brother Keith Moore, did several years ago called The Blame Game. And that series had a lot of influence on some of the things we're going to get into today, but it's, it came up on my heart that we should talk about some of these things. I've been touching on it in the Verity Vitamins segment, and so if you haven't heard some of those and you're interested in what we're going to talk about today, we get a little bit deeper into some things in those episodes. But I want to talk about the tendency to blame other people rather than to look to ourselves and examine ourselves in a thing. And the last couple of weeks in the normal full-length podcast, I've been talking about restoration and repentance and how to bring restoration into relationships and how that connects to our restoration with God. And this is a big part of it because one of the things that hinders restoration is blaming. You know, always blaming somebody else, always accusing somebody else, it hinders restoration. But self-examination, humility, is something that opens the door to the grace of God to come in and bring restoration in things. And so that's why I want to talk about this today. And I'm going to pray over today's podcast, and then we will get right into the Word. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to minister your Word. Lord, I ask that you would help me to minister the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth in today's podcast. I thank you for fruit that will abound to the restoration of relationships as a result of the scriptures that we're going to read and the revelation that you are going to bring in the in this time, in these few minutes, Father God. And I ask you for more light. And I believe I receive more revelation today, things I haven't even seen yet. And Lord, I give thanks for what I already see, what I already know. And I thank you that in this podcast, I am following on to know. And everybody that's listening to it is following on to know more light, more revelation about your holy, precious word. Father, we believe we receive it. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, I ask that you would give the listeners eyes to see and ears to hear and soft, tender hearts to receive the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, almost the beginning, but, you know, close enough. Genesis means beginning, so we are going back to the beginning, just not the beginning of the beginning, you understand. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. Now, the word subtle, it describes something that is not only 
stealthy and quiet in its entrance, but something that's also slippery. (laughs) You know, a serpent is known for not only being stealthy, but slippery. You know, uh, slipping through cracks, getting in where you wouldn't think something could get in, looking for a little opening, looking for a little crack, some way in. You see that snakes do this. Uh, Any kind of a small, slimy creature does this. And that's what it has to do with being slippery. And so, you know, when it talks about what God has joined, let no man separate, uh, there's an implication of something becoming a wedge between two things. A wedge. A wedge is like something that you put uh, on a block of wood and you hammer it in to, to make an opening so that when you hit it with the axe, it can split it. Well, you know, the enemy doesn't start with the axe. He starts with the wedge. And so a wedge is something slipping in there, getting in between. And so that's what the enemy was doing in this. He was looking for a crack, looking for an opening, looking for a way in. And he found it in Eve. And uh, you know the whole story. He tempted her with the fruit and she told Adam about it. She ate it. He ate it. And now their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked. And so it says that when their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Well, why did they do that? Well, first of all, God's presence brings light to a situation. It shines the light on what is really there. And so to hide yourself from God's presence is to hide from the light. And we see that this goes right along with the fact that they were trying to cover themselves up with these homemade aprons that they made. They're trying to hide their own flaws, their own nakedness. There's something that they're trying to cover up here. And so this goes right along with what we're going to talk about today. The attempt to hide, the attempt to cover up, and, and we see that there is another Uh, another method that they used to try and get the spotlight off of them. (laughs) Because see, the spotlight is something that shines on whoever's in the spotlight. You know, that's the point of a spotlight is to emphasize one person. When somebody's on a stage and a spotlight shines on the person, then that is who we're focused on right now. That's who we're emphasizing. And you can't see anybody else that's up there. So if the spotlight is on you in a negative way, the flesh wants to get the spotlight off of me. (laughs) Get the light off of me. Why? Because the light is revealing something. And to hide is to try and get out of the spotlight. That's why they hid from the presence of God. But here's the thing. The presence of God isn't only the thing that reveals. It's the thing that heals. Ooh. I just came right out of my spirit. Didn't even have it in my notes. It's not only the thing that reveals, it's also the thing that heals. So to hide from the presence of God, to hide from the light, you're not only hiding from the revealing, you're hiding from your healing. Ah, come on. Thank you, Lord. What did it say in James? Confess your faults one to another 
And that had to do with being healed. When the light reveals, it's not to shame, it's to heal. You understand? And so they hid from the presence of God. And God said, uh, where are you guys at? <laughs> and he said, uh, they said, we knew we were naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I told you not to eat of? Now notice he said, have you eaten? He didn't say, Adam, did your wife eat from the tree that I told her not to eat? He didn't say, Eve, did your husband eat from the tree I told him not to eat? No, he said, have you eaten? Why did God ask it this way? Because God always talks to us about what we've done. Now, I'm not saying God never brings up anything about what somebody else may have done, but that's the primary thing. That's the first thing he talks to you about. What have you done? <laughs> what have you done in this situation? That's the first thing he talks to us about. And the man said, that woman who you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me or deceived me, and I did eat. So what are they doing? They're blaming each other. He is shining the spotlight on his wife. The wife is shining the spotlight on the serpent. And the serpent didn't have anybody to shine the spotlight on. So he just had to grin and bear it, I suppose. But uh, we see that there is this blaming, this, this uh, get the, the light off of me, shine it on them. Blaming other people. They did this. They did that. Instead of self-examining. What have you done? What have I done? That's the question that we should ask. And what's funny about this, <laughs> this is just kind of a humorous thought. Uh, Genesis 4, we're actually going to go right over to Genesis 4 because we see this happened again with Cain and Abel. <clears throat> Not so much with Abel, but with Cain. But Genesis 4.1 starts out by saying that Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived. Now, I can't prove this, but I think, well, <laughs> should I say that? I, I, I think that was the first time since Genesis 3 that that happened. Well, <laughs> uh, I can't prove that. But I suspect that Adam was sleeping on the couch for a while. You understand? Well, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. You know, we don't know how much of a gap is between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, but that's, that's my opinion. That's my professional opinion. You didn't ask, but I gave it to you. You know, I, I, I think every time Adam, you know, kind of kind of hinted to his wife, you know, that I think she was like, oh, I'm just that woman he gave you and slammed the door on him. You know, but that's my that's my theory. You know, he spent a few months in the doghouse. But in Genesis 4, 1, he knew his wife Eve and she she bore a son and uh, then she bore Abel. And uh, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it says, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering, he had no respect. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Watch this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. He said, Why are you upset? If you do well, you'll be accepted. What is God talking to Cain about? Himself. 
what he did, what he didn't do. Did God have respect to Abel's offering because of anything Abel did to Cain? No, God had respect to Abel's offering because it was a worthy offering. He did not respect Cain's offering because it was not a worthy offering. You know, I was at work a few months ago, and I had made a few mistakes. That's just Thomas the Train saying amen. He, he heard that last part, and he wanted to, he wanted to affirm this message. Uh, but I was at work recently, a few months ago, and, and I, I, it was like that week I had made two or three kind of silly big mistakes. And, and I was, I was uh, have you ever gotten into one of those like ruts where it felt like you just kept making one mistake after the other? And, and as a result, you know, maybe your boss or your parent or something like that kept having to correct you. Well, the Bible talks about not fainting when you're rebuked by the Lord. And um, I, I was starting to get a little bit irritated because it felt like I kept making mistakes and my boss kept having to say something to me about it. Now, he wasn't mean about it, but he just kept having to say something to me. Well, make sure you do it this way. Make sure you do it that way. And after a while, that was trying to irritate me a little bit. And right in the middle of it, this passage just rose up in my heart. And I heard on the inside of me, the Lord say, Ben, doest thou well <laughs> to be angry? And I heard it very clearly. If you do well, will you not also be accepted? Despise not the correction of the Lord, neither faint when you're rebuked by him. What was the Lord saying? Listen, there's no reason to be upset. Just focus on trying to get it right. Focus on doing it right. And with the Lord's help, you know, I did start doing it right. And I got a hold of myself and the Lord helped me not to be upset. But see, notice it says sin lies at the door. The enemy's counting on you getting so angry that you just lose it and and that you just explode with anger and do something stupid. And that's exactly what happened with Cain. He got he let this anger just ride him and ride him and ride him to the point that he killed his own brother. Now, it may not be that serious. In other cases with other people, sometimes they may end up walking out of their job because they got so angry. And the whole time, God's like, hey, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Doest thou well to be angry? If you, if you do right, will you not also be accepted? Calm down. The Lord's trying to help you. He's trying to, trying to get something over to you. But people just let anger ride and ride and ride and build and build and build. And then they do something stupid. That's what he means by sin lies at the door. In the Amplified Bible of verse 7 he says, if you do well, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, but ignore my instructions, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you to overpower you, but you must master it. You must be the master over this thing trying to get at you. You know, anytime you're tempted to be really angry with somebody else, Anytime you're tempted to, to really just get fired up angry, especially to the point of yelling or screaming or cursing or violence, hey, take a step back. Take a step back. Um, you know, you need to ask yourself, what is it that they've done that's making me so angry? Because see, if you'll stop and examine yourself, you realize, wait a minute, have I ever done anything like that? Have I ever said anything like that? <laughs> well, would I want somebody to be this angry with me? 
See, a lot of times this stuff is just in people's heads. And, and, and somebody can say one thing, and you add 15 things to what they said in your own head <laughs> and get angry about it. Now, listen, don't lie this morning or this evening whenever you're listening to this. Have you ever gotten angry about something you imagined somebody said? Well, they may not have said it, but it sounds like something they would say. Yeah, but they didn't even say it. <laughs> See, this is how the enemy tries to mess with people and tries to get them worked up because they're, they're arguing with people in their minds or they're, they're creating the stuff. This has to do with being puffed up in your mind. You know, it's like a movie in your mind. You got to watch out about some of this stuff because the enemy can use it to try and get you to do something stupid in a moment of anger. If you let yourself feed on that, if you let that just gnaw on you day after day after day after day. And that's what happened with Cain. And you know, Cain killed his brother. And, you know, the Lord said, uh, where's Abel? And he said, well, I'm not my brother's keeper, which was stupid because if the Lord asks you where your brother is, then you are your brother's keeper, <laughs> you know, like he's going to tell God what he is and what he's not. But, but God said to Abel, what have you done? Do you see the emphasis here? What have you done, Cain? What did you do to your brother? See, again, this started because Cain wouldn't self-examine, and it ended with God saying, what have you done? See, this, is, this is, has to do with what 1 Corinthians 10 or 11 talks about when it says, if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. See, if, if Cain had judged himself early on, he wouldn't have gotten the, the punishment of what came after the killing of Abel. And that's what God's trying to spare us from. And, you know, God's so merciful. When we repent, we ask him to forgive us. He's so merciful. But there can still be some natural consequences. You know, words are like bullets. And, you know, you can't put bullets back into the gun after you fire them. And so even if God forgives you and people forgive you, you still could have done some damage. And so this is why you want to guard against saying things out of anger and letting anger build up on you and doing things. Because even when, when God is merciful and he restores things, thank God for that, for his mercy. And his mercy is new every day and there's nothing that's too far gone for his mercy. But we can still avoid some things, you understand? And, and things don't have to be bad if we'll just examine ourselves in situations, if we'll judge ourselves. Amen? So he asked Cain, what have you done? And the big problem was Cain had gotten his eyes on his brother, and he started thinking that Cain was the cause of God's disapproval of him. And that's not true. He became envious and jealous. Was Abel the problem? No. The problem was what Cain did and with what was happening in Cain's own conscience. You know, there's a truth in that, too. Many times what people perceive as being judged by other people is actually a person's own conscience talking to them. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, they come into a church where the presence of God is manifested. What comes with the presence of God? Light. And it's not necessarily that people are judging them. In some cases it is. I understand that. But they, they may not even know what somebody's doing. They may not even know what's going on with somebody. They may not even be thinking about that person, but the light reveals the truth. And people can come into a place where the presence of God is manifested and feel convicted and call it people. I just could feel people judging me. No, baby doll, that's your conscience. <laughs> that's your conscience talking to you. 
in the light. Amen. And you know, even after Cain killed Abel, God's presence came and revealed what he had done. So Abel wasn't the problem. Abel didn't solve the problem. It didn't solve the problem by killing Abel. And by getting angry at other people and blaming other people, it never solves the problem. And the nature of the flesh is to blame other people, to make somebody else the focal point of everything that seems to be going wrong so we don't have to take any personal responsibility. But what's interesting in Genesis 3 is that, you know, we know we have an enemy and we know that persecution comes. But what's interesting is that God didn't ask Adam and Eve about what Satan did. Are you listening? (laughs) God knows there's a devil. He knows there's a tempter. He also knows what he's put on the inside of us. And he also knows that he doesn't allow us to be tempted above what we're able, but makes a way of escape, as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us. So in light of that, something we have to keep in mind is that we can't just blame everything on the devil. We have a responsibility too. And I'll make this statement to you. If there is an escape, there is no excuse. I'll say it again. If there is an escape, there is no excuse. God knows if he's made a way of escape. And if he knows there's a way of escape, and he knows that you know there's a way of escape, then there's no excuse. Look at this in uh, 1 Samuel 15, starting in verse 12. We see another example of a similar thing. When Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Um, the Bible talks about, uh, don't declare your own faithfulness. And <laughs> now I'm not saying you can't let somebody know if you finished your job, but you got to be careful about declaring your own faithfulness. Anyway, uh, Samuel said, what is the meaning then of this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, watch this, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. And what did he say? He said, they have done this. The people have spared the sheep. What's he doing? He's trying to get the spotlight off of himself. (laughs) And Samuel was not happy about it. And he said, God anointed you over Israel, but now you're in trouble. And he said, wherefore then did you not obey the voice of the Lord. What's Samuel asking him about? Why didn't you obey the voice of the Lord? Why didn't you do what God told you to do? He said, you flew upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So now he's acting like he didn't know what he was supposed to do. He's acting like, oh, oh, I thought, oh, is that what the Lord meant? Oh, I'm so sorry. I thought he meant to bring Agag back to, oh, man. Oh, I could have sworn that's what you said. He's playing games. And see, God knows what you know. He knows what I know. That's why this doesn't work in the presence of God, because the light reveals the truth. And it's foolish 
to lie in the presence of God. Hey, that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They lied in the presence of God and the light revealed it. And, and God knows what we know. And Saul's trying to act like he didn't know. He's trying to act like, oh, I, I thought you said, you said kill Amalek. I thought you, I thought you said, I thought you said drill Amalek. I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't know you, you said that. I thought you meant you just want me to interrogate him. Oh man, my bad. No, he knew what God said. <laughs> and uh, he said, but the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen and the chief things which had been brought to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel said this famous statement, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken is better than the fat of rams. So we see that Saul is trying to embellish things. <laughs> He's trying to embellish what happened. He's trying to cut corners, trying to get the spotlight off of him, uh, emphasize other people. He's trying to act like he didn't really understand. He didn't really know. Now, listen, if somebody genuinely didn't know, didn't understand, God knows that. And God doesn't hold people accountable to light that they don't have. If he knows that they didn't understand it, they didn't perceive it, God has mercy on that. But he knows what we know. He knows what you know. That's why you can't play games with him. And I feel like this is another phrase that the Lord gave me in my heart the other day. Embellishment leads to embarrassment, but honesty leads to honor. I'll say that again. Embellishment leads to embarrassment, but honesty leads to honor. You know, this is just a side note, but uh, be careful about calling in sick <laughs> if you ain't really sick. Well, that's all I'll say about that. Um, but embellishment, you know, this is true of getting into quarrels with other people and things of that nature. Um, trying to make other people look bad and trying to make yourself look like the, the victim or the hero in the situation. You know, it's one thing to recount the facts. And what happened is what happened. But if you're embellishing things to purposely try to put yourself in a good light and somebody else in a bad light, well, the Lord knows that. And that's not, God's not going to honor embellishment. Embellishment leads to embarrassment. Um, look at this in Ephesians 6. Let's go over to the New Testament. In verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Who's he talking to? Children. And he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So what will determine whether or not a, ch a child ends up with that promise, whether or not they obeyed their parents and whether or not they honored their father and their mother. And that's what they're going to give an account for. Um, and he goes on to say, you fathers. So who's he talking to now? The fathers. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Then he says, servants. So who's he talking to now? Servants. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. And he talks about doing it from the heart, not just for the sake of being seen. And then he goes on to say, masters, uh, you do the same thing, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master is also in heaven. So who's he talking to right there? Masters. Well, what's happening in this passage? He is talking to specific people about what they should be doing and not be doing. <laughs> so what will these specific people give an account for? What they did or what they didn't do. 
That's why God asked Adam and Eve, what have you done? And God asks all of us, what have you done? And he goes on to say, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Talks about putting on the whole armor of God, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the thing I want to point out to you about that is that people are never the real enemy. Our true enemy is unseen. You know, he talked about sin crouching at the door with Cain. Uh, the Bible talks about in Psalm chapter 10, a lion that crouches and waits to pounce on the righteous. You know, Satan is looking for opportunities to pounce. And again, at the end of our life, Satan is not going to give an account for each one of us and what we did. <laughs> we will give an account. And God talked to the serpent about what he did, and he gave an account for that, but he still talked to Adam and Eve about what they did. So we do have personable, we do have personal responsibility. We will give an account for our life, and yet when we're dealing with other people, we've got to keep in mind that they are not the real enemy. They'll give an account for their actions, but they're not our true enemy. And we need to be focusing on ourselves. We need to be focusing on what we can do differently, what we can do right. How do I observe and obey the commandment of the Lord? You know, with Saul, he's the king. And so if he found out that people were doing things against what they're supposed to be doing, it's his responsibility to make sure they're not doing that. <laughs> and so, yes, there's responsibility that we have uh, to steward what God entrusts to us and to be uh, an honest and a righteous leader. But that's still a part of Saul's responsibility. And ultimately, Saul was the one who gave an account for the kingdom because of his position. So, each one of us will give an account for our lives and what we have or haven't done. But there's also a truth. Uh, the Hebrews talks about those who are over us in the Lord giving an account for our souls. You know, when somebody submits to somebody else, it doesn't mean that that person's not going to answer for their life. But when you're underneath somebody else, there is a covering there. And the reason why there's a covering there is because there is something else that is going to have a measure of accountability because they're leading. You understand? I could pre preach a whole podcast on that. I don't have time for that today. But there's a truth in that. Uh, but there are extremes with either side of that. You know, some people refuse to take any responsibility in a situation. In other cases, they allow the enemy and people to put all the blame on them and they get into condemnation and think I'm the problem and I'm, you know, everything. I'm the sin eater, you know, like, no, none of that is right. You got to guard against extremes in this. But the truth is everyone is responsible for their part. And if everyone would focus on their part, you could actually make progress. <laughs> you could actually have healing in a situation. Humility brings grace into the situation. Amen. Now look at this in Matthew 7, verse 1. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now watch this part. I, I want to emphasize this to you very carefully. Why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye but consider not the beam that is in your own eye. 
How will you say to your brother, let me pull out the mote of your eye? And behold, a beam is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to cast out the mote of your brother's eye, out of your brother's eye. Okay, interesting. So if you get rid of the beam out of your own eye, which comes through examining yourself, it's going to cause you to see clearly to help your brother. Okay, let's put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that. Remember that. Luke 12, 13. It says, One of the company said unto Jesus, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. So this man is focused on his brother. He thinks his brother is his problem. And so he wants Jesus to take sides with him against his brother, right? And Jesus turned it back on him. And he said, you need to watch out for covetousness. You need to guard against, watch this, sin that's lying at the door. You see that? He's talking to him about something you need to watch out for. You need to, you need to take heed lest you're also tempted. Do you see And so whenever we're tempted to blame somebody and put all the emphasis on somebody else, what do we need to do? We need to remove the beam from our own eye. He had a beam of covetousness in his eye and Jesus perceived it. And he said, buddy, you need to get the covetousness out of your own eye. And then you're going to be in better shape. (laughs) That's that's what you really need right now. Uh, Inheritance is not what you need right now. What you need is to get rid of covetousness. Now, I'm a strong believer that it's God's will for all of us to prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. God wants us to have our needs met, and God is not offended by any amount of money. But He is offended by covetousness. And sometimes we're too focused on getting things in the natural when God knows, hey, you need to, you need to take heed and beware of covetousness right now. Uh, if you seek first my kingdom, I'll add all those things to you. And I'll give you the desires of your heart but I'm not going to give you the demands of your flesh. You understand? And you need, to, you need to remove the beam of covetousness. This is why we have to self-examine in things, because the real issue in a situation may not be what somebody else is or isn't doing. It may be something that's in our own heart that needs to be removed. Look at this in Proverbs 20, verse 23. And this is where I, it gets good. Um, it says... Diverse weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. Ah, this is where I was, I was getting excited when I was studying. Um, we need to guard against taking sides all the time in things. What was that guy trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to take sides with him. Uh, we have to be careful about only hearing one side of the story and joining in the blaming of one person. Are you listening? Joining in on the blaming of this one person, this one thing. We got to guard against that. Why? Because a false balance is not good. We need, watch this, a balanced perspective. In the Amplified Bible, it says, diverse and deceitful weights are shamefully vile and abhorrent to the Lord, and false scales 
are not good. The Passion Translation says God hates double standards, and that's hypocrisy at its worst. Now, this is what I want to present to you here. Um, This is a picture of a scale, you know, a scale like an old time scale, not the kind of scale we have at a grocery store, but a scale when you got the skinny part in the middle and the two kind of swingy, you know, spoon things that you put weights in and one side goes up and the other side goes down. That's what I'm talking about. Get, Get a picture of a scale in your mind. That's what this passage is talking about. A scale, a false or an imbalanced scale, an unjust scale is an abomination to the Lord. What did Jesus just say in Matthew 7? The measure that you judge somebody else with, the standard by which you judge somebody else, that's the standard you're going to be judged with. Why? Because that's balance. That's a just scale. that's, That's an even scale. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's balanced, it's just, it's even. If a scale is imbalanced, what has to be done? It has to be adjusted. See, a false scale is a rigged scale. You ever heard of a rigged election or a rigged this or a rigged that? Means it's purposely pushing everything off to one side. Ooh, that's what it is. Purposely pushing everything off to one side. Trying to get the weight on one side, trying to get the blame off on one side. Do you see that? That's an imbalanced scale. If you want a just balance, you must adjust your balance. (laughs) You must adjust your scale. Now watch this. This is where I, I get excited. This is where it gets good. How do I adjust my scale? How do I adjust my balance, my judgment of a thing? I have to remove the beam out of my own eye. Do you see that? I have to remove the beam out of my own eye. I have to adjust the counterweight. I've been doing, I've been using a lot of national treasure analogies lately. I watched national national treasure recently. And on the second one, there's this big stake and this big square platform. And the only way to get up to the next level where the tunnel continues is to put all the weight on the back and one person goes up to the top and there's a counterweight. You understand? Well, in order for it to be balanced, there had to be a person standing at each of the four corners. And anytime a person moved, it caused it to be tipped. You understand? That's a picture of what we're talking about. You got to have balance. (laughs) Everybody has to have, watch this, their part. Ooh, in order for things to be balanced. And if you remove the beam out of your own eye, let me say it to you like this. The beam in your own eye is the counterweight that's causing your scale to be off balance. It's the counterweight that's causing your scale to be off to one side. It's what's causing you, watch this, to be one-sided in your judgment. Ooh, come on. This is where it gets good. This is what hinders righteous judgment. If you want your scale to be honest, you must remove the counterweight. If you remove the beam out of your own eye, your scale will become even. See, hearing one side of a story and judging it, blaming everything on somebody else, that's a false balance. That's a false scale. Proverbs 18.13 says, To answer a matter before you hear it is folly and shame. You know, people jump to conclusions. 
And anytime things become completely one-sided and the blanks are filled in by speculation, that is an unjust scale in the eyes of the Lord, and it's foolish. It's foolish. And again, anytime all the blame is going one place, something's wrong. And, and we can't even blame the devil for everything. <laughs> God said to Adam and Eve, what have you done? And if there was anybody who we could lay all the blame on, it would be the devil. And God still tells us to examine ourselves. So in light of that, I wanted to mention something. You know, having a, a just scale, a just uh, balance, righteous judgment in a thing has to do with examining ourselves, right? And we already read in Ephesians 6 about honoring your father and your mother. That's your part. Um, the father's part is his part. The, the child's part is their part. And, you know, the grown child's part is to honor their father and their mother. That's their part. That's what God's going to ask us about. That's what he told us to do, right? So, so look at this in Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. I want to I show you something here. In talking about blaming people, blaming people. Um, it says, Noah began to be a, a husbandman, which means a, a keeper of a vineyard. And he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and got drunk and was uncovered within his tent. Now, is that okay? <laughs> is it okay for the patriarch of a family to get so drunk that he's laying around the house naked? No, no, it's not okay. But we see that Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren about it. Now, the implication is that he mocked Moses, or Noah, excuse me. Um, he wasn't just informing them so that they could cover him up. There was mockery involved in this. He's shaming his father because he got drunk and he uncovered himself. And it's, you see that Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of the servants shall be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. What happened? Uh, Shem and Japheth honored their father. Ham dishonored his father. Now, again, was Noah okay to be getting drunk and uncovering himself in the house? No. Would it be easy to blame him and say, well, well, hey, it's your fault. You shouldn't have been doing that. Don't blame me that you were getting drunk. And yet we see that Shem and Japheth were blessed because they covered the nakedness of their father. They covered him. They didn't expose him. They didn't shame him. See, this is before the law. <laughs> and yet we see that there was a blessing attached to honoring their father, even when he wasn't doing everything right. And so something I want to point out to you is our honor for our parents, our honor for our spiritual parents, our honor for those in authority is not based on what they have or have not done. Are you listening? God told us to honor them. There are parents who have done some very awful things, and they will give an account for what they've done. They will give an account to God, but we will give an account for what God told us to do. 
Now, honoring your parents doesn't mean you necessarily are able to have a lot to do with them if they're yielding to wild, crazy things. But the honor was there with Shem and Japheth. They weren't exposing, dishonoring, humiliating, accusing. You see, there's an honor that comes in this, and we're going to give an account for that. Slandering, shaming people in authority. That's never justified in the eyes of the Lord. And, you know, in light of that, so many people blame where they are in life on their parents or the people that raised them. They, they blame everything that's happened to them. They blame all the issues that they've had on their parents. And listen, again, there are some people who have done some horrible things. And yes, that impacts a person's life. And yet God is faithful to anybody who will reach out to God, to reach out to him. He always gives us an opportunity. And that's acting like God has not given us any opportunity to rise up and overcome. He's not faithful. Well, no, that's not true. And yes, it's true that what people do impacts us and affects us, and yet we're still going to give an account for our life. And any time all the blame is going one place and no personal responsibility is being taken, listen, that is an unjust scale. It's the truth. You may say boo, but it's still true. So what do we do instead? Instead of blaming everything on everybody else, well, number one, we've already talked about it. We examine ourselves. We remove the beam from our own eye so we have a just weight and balance, right? So we can righteously judge. But that's not all we do. Look at this in John 21, 20. This is the other thing we need to do. And we'll close with this. It says, Peter, turning about, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who was John which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, uh, which is he that betrays you? And that's what John said. And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarries until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. The other thing we have to do after we've examined ourselves and said, Lord, what have you told me to do? What have you dealt with me about doing? How can I keep my heart and my conscience clear before you? After we've done that, the next thing we have to do is get our eyes off of other people and get our eyes onto Jesus. Are you listening? You can't necessarily follow everybody else's example. You have to leave those people to God and trust them to God, but then you follow him. You get your eyes off of those people, what they did, what they didn't do, what they could have done, what I could have done if they would have done this. You stop blaming them. You stop judging them. You examine yourself. Lord, am I doing everything you've told me to do? What can I do? What are you telling me to do? And then you get your eyes off of people and you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And you follow him. You follow his example. You learn of him. Listen, if you have not had good role models in your life, I understand. I get it. It can be tough. And I don't mean to preach something that's unempathetic to hard situations that people have grown up in. But at the same time, I, I want to help you get free. And you don't get free by blaming other people and talking about what 
you can't do because of what they did or didn't do. You'll never get free that way. And so I, I could sit here and, and say, oh, that's so bad. You have it so bad. I'm so sorry. Well, have fun in your chains. No, I, I, I'm, I'm here to preach the deliverance to the captives. <laughs> you understand? But when you've examined yourself, you find out what God's called you to do, what he's telling you to do. You do everything you can do to be clear with God and to do what he's told you to do. And then you get your eyes off people and you fix your eyes on your number one example, and that's Jesus. And he's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the one that's going to help you run your race. You follow him. And listen, when you're following him, you know, you may not be around a lot of people that are not following him. You know, it's like the, the song, um, though none go with me, still I will follow. And you want people to follow Jesus too. But if other people aren't following Jesus, what's that to you? You understand? Um, you focus on following Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you do that, that's how you're going to end up being accepted. Oh, come on. You understand? I'm not talking about being accepted into heaven. You get into heaven by receiving the precious blood of Jesus and having your sins washed away and the gift of grace of salvation. But what did he tell Cain? He said, if you do well, will you not also be accepted? If, if you follow Jesus, if you do what he's told you to do, it doesn't matter what everybody else has or has not done, God will take you all the way into his perfect will for your life and you'll accomplish what he's called you to accomplish on this earth. Amen? That's, that is how you live a satisfied life, not by blaming other people. Glory to God. Amen. Listen, if you've never received Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Don't put it off. Um, nobody can receive Jesus for you. And whether or not you are born again is not based on what anybody else has or hasn't done or will or won't do. The only person who can receive Jesus for you is you. The only person who can receive the gift of salvation for you is you. And I don't care if you were raised in a Satanist cult. Listen, uh, you can be saved and born again and filled with the Holy Spirit if you will receive the gift of salvation. If you will put your faith in Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord of your life, you will be saved. You will be brought out of whatever you've been in and you will be made right with God. And I'm telling you, at the end of your life, it won't matter what this person did or what that person did. You're going to give an account for your life. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing is to know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you've never done that, I invite you, reach out to him with all your heart. Tell him you believe in him. Tell him you want that gift and you will be born again. And you will be ushered into the presence of God when you leave this earth. Amen. Glory to God. And he has a great plan for your life, too. If you'll follow him, he will lead you into green pastures. Glory to God. Well, this has been the No Content Podcast. I hope you got something good out of this today, and I will talk to you the next time you click play. Thanks again for listening to the No Content Podcast. Remember that Jesus loves you, he loves everyone else, and please don't forget to feed the ducks.